It's a tradition that every year around this time, we make resolutions. As we emerge from a really challenging 2020, I feel more resolute than I have in years past. To be intentional with my time and actions and to nurture my relationships with family and friends whom I can't visit in person. I feel cautiously optimistic too. As we produce this episode, vaccines are being deployed to healthcare workers for the coronavirus that's kept us all inside and away from our loved ones. Though much is still uncertain, hope is on the horizon. I'm Sonia, and this is Remember Reading from HarperCollins, a podcast where we talk about classic children's books. As we move into 2021, we wanted to see what ideas we could carry forward from the episodes we produced last year. What struck me as I listened to last year's episodes was how well classic children's literature equips young readers and their grown-ups for whatever complications life might hold. If you read Frances Hodgson Burnett's The Secret Garden when you were a kid, you may have forgotten, as I had, that the book begins when Mary Lennox's parents die in a cholera epidemic in India. As a child in America, that danger had sounded far away from me, but revisiting the book in 2020, the subtext of sickness and wellness in the secret garden take on new resonance. Not only does the story start with illness and death, but when Mary Lennox gets from India to her uncle's home, an old English manor, she meets her cousin Colin, an imperious boy who has been treated as an invalid since birth and who is convinced he is going to die. Something in Colin changes, though, when Mary brings him to the secret garden. He looked so strange and different because a pink glow of color had actually crept all over him. Ivory face and neck and hands and all. I shall get well. I shall get well, he cried out. Mary, Dickon, I shall get well, and I shall live forever and ever and ever. Catherine Patterson, author of Bridge to Terabithia, said that the secret world that her characters, childhood friends Jesse and Leslie, create in the woods between their houses was inspired, in part, by the secret garden. Catherine wrote the book after her son lost his best friend in a lightning storm, and if you remember, Leslie dies in the climax of the story. As a child, I remember wishing for a deus ex machina plot twist to undo Leslie Burke's death. The last pages left me aching with a milder version of the absence we feel when we lose someone we love. Here's Katherine Patterson. I've often thought that books are a good rehearsal for what we all have to meet in life, pain, grief, and sorrow, and, and things not going our way. I always feel sad when people say, well, I gave Bruce Terabithia to this child who just lost, you know, name one. And I think, oh, uh, too late. It should have come much sooner because it should have been a rehearsal for loss, not, not a pill that would cure it because it won't cure it, <laughs> uh, but it does help. In a year when so many have lost loved ones, it's helpful to remember the classic children's literature can provide young readers with that rehearsal. And in a year when adults worried a lot, and rightly so, about protecting lives, books like The Secret Garden can reawaken in us a childlike wonder at aliveness itself. One of the strange things about living in the world is that it is only now and then one is quite sure one is going to live forever and ever and ever. One knows it sometimes when one gets up at the tender, solemn dawn time and goes out and stands alone and throws one's head far back and looks up and up 
and watches the pale sky slowly changing and flushing and marvellous unknown things happening until the east almost makes one cry out and one's heart stands still at the strange, unchanging majesty of the rising of the sun, which has been happening every morning for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. One knows it then for a moment or so. Similarly, children's books can help kids make sense of the big social issues unfolding around them. Another significant moment from 2020 was the eruption of marches and protests across the world to demand justice for George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others killed at the hands of police officers, and to declare that Black Lives Matter. Rita Wilson's One Crazy Summer, which came out in 2010, tells the story of three sisters, Delphine, Vanetta, and Fern, who, at their father's insistence, fly to Oakland, California to meet their estranged mother, a revolutionary poet and an operative in the Black Panther movement. It wasn't at all the way the television showed militants. That's what they called the Black Panthers. Militants who from the newspapers were angry fist wavers with their mouths wide open and their rifles ready for shooting. They never showed anyone like Sister Makumbu or Sister Pat passing out toast and teaching in classrooms. I started to think, this place is all right. I watched the white guys leave unharmed, laughing even. I couldn't wait to tell Big Ma all about it. The book doesn't focus solely on the racial politics of 1968. The emotional heart of the story is that the girls reckon with their mostly absent mother. They figure out how to get along, how to make new friends, and they learn their own power. Janae Marks is the author of From the Desk of Zoe Washington. She was interested in this book in part because her father had been in the Black Panthers. Books like these, Janae says, can help kids understand complex issues like race in America. Kids are hearing about things like the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, the reason why people are marching or why people are standing up against government leaders and they're understanding that this is going on and they probably do want to know more about it or know ways in which they can be part of it. And so I think it just makes sense to include it in books because I think they're having these kind of discussions amongst themselves. Lisa Moore Romay wrote her book, A Good Kind of Trouble, while she was reading One Crazy Summer. She said that stories like One Crazy Summer help validate the feelings and experiences of young Black readers. It's hard to know where you fit in, where your emotions fit in on like the range of normalcy. Are you overreacting? Are you underreacting? For Black kids, they don't have a model, I think, to follow. We're so underrepresented, and so often the representation is stereotyped or negative and in a way where just your normal Black kid never gets to see themselves. Other kids just like you out there, you're normal. Your fear and your anger and your concern is normal and justified. In the same episode, Paula Chase, author of eight books, but most recently Turning Point, was clear about what sort of representation we should hope to see from literature in the future. We need Black vampires and we need Black fairies and we need Black werewolves. And when we start to see more of that, 
I'll be really happy. I will feel really happy for the generation of Black children coming up that will have those types of stories, that if you're a kid who likes sci-fi, that there will be books for you that have characters that look like you. Finally, in 2020, the podcast also featured The One and Only Ivan by Catherine Applegate. I am Ivan. I am a gorilla. It's not as easy as it looks. Ivan's story is based on a real gorilla held in captivity in a mall in Tacoma, Washington. In Catherine's fictionalized version, Ivan is resigned about his life. We encounter him at a time when attitudes towards animal captivity are shifting, and Ivan's enclosure isn't attracting as many visitors as it used to. Not long ago, a little boy stood before my glass, tears streaming down his smooth red cheeks. He must be the loneliest gorilla in the world, he said, clutching his mother's hand. It's not so bad, I wanted to tell the little boy. With enough time, you can get used to almost anything. Ivan's acceptance of his circumstances makes me wonder what conditions we adults have accepted for ourselves that we would never accept for our children. Roseanne Perry is the author of many award-winning novels, including A Wolf Called Wander. She loves Ivan and shared a passage that in her mind highlights how Catherine Applegate honored the characteristics of silverback gorillas. But the passage also called to mind how anger can be righteous and can be used to protect those we love. I am never angry. Anger is precious. A silverback uses anger to maintain order and warn his troop of danger. When my father beat his chest, it was to say, beware, listen, I am in charge. I am angry to protect you because that is what I was born to do. Here in my domain, there is no one to protect. The change in Ivan's story comes when a sweet young elephant joins his enclosure and activates Ivan's conviction to liberate them both. While it's easy to feel overwhelmed by the changes that took place this year, Ivan's story reminds us all to roll up our sleeves and make hard decisions to protect the people we love, whether it's by staying home and wearing masks or by taking on big issues like racial justice and even climate change, an issue close to Roseanne's heart. In A Wolf Called Wander, Roseanne elevates the landscape so that it's almost a character. This was really important to Roseanne, and luckily she found an editor who understood. She said, you know, the job of combating global warming, the job of saving our planet, is not going to be easy. We've already blown past the simple solutions. And the only way that we're going to muster the will to tackle the harder ones is by having a sense of kinship with the wilderness. She wanted the readers to be able to, in their minds, put themselves in that wild place and, and come to love it and love it enough to defend it. Children's literature helps young readers understand the world they live in. This has always been true, and it's true of all the amazing books we profiled on Remember Reading last year, but had to leave out of this recap. The Carrot Seed by Ruth Krauss, Frog and Toad by Arnold Lobel, Monster by Walter Dean Myers, even funny stories like Amelia Bedelia or fanciful stories like Chronicles of Narnia offer kids the tools to navigate their world. But when life gets especially complicated, like it did last year, when we undergo something as bewildering and total as this pandemic has been, 
children's literature builds resilience by letting young people experience other lives. Books connect young readers and their grown-ups to the values that can get us all through hard times. And as at the end of The Secret Garden, when Mary's Uncle Archibald finds the old garden he'd locked away in grief restored to new life, classic children's books can remind us that after every hardship comes a reprieve, just like after every hard winter come the blossoms and buds of spring. May we all have a happier new year. I hope you'll go back and check out our 2020 episodes. Then tell us what you think on Twitter at ReadingPod. That's R-E-A-D-I-N-G-P-O-D. Or you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Your review could end up in our next newsletter, along with quotes, trivia, and updates about new episodes, which you can sign up for by visiting RememberReading.com. This episode of Remember Reading is produced by Kate Piggott and Josh Suey at Podfly Productions. I'm Sonia Sells. Thanks for listening.